Romans chapter 6, verse 23. If you're anything like me, when I was a new convert, the most influential person in my life had me memorize verses. This was one of them. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, most, if not everyone here, knows that the Bible teaches that sin brings death. Our verse is very clear about that, but it's clear elsewhere. Death would refer to spiritual death, the separation of the soul from communion with God or from being rightly related to God. Physical death, the separation of soul from body, and eternal death, the separation of both soul and body from the safe presence of God. So we could say, Scripture teaches that without sin, there's no death. With sin, there is death, and everything that comes with it, separation from God, sorrow, misery, sickness, disease, parental heartaches, divorce, deathbed regrets, funerals, and eternal misery. Without sin, there's none of those things. With sin, there are those things. Now, our text this morning teaches us this. Sin has wages. That's pretty clear. But God has a free gift for sinners. That's pretty clear as well. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, As we look at this verse, notice, first of all, let's look at the structure of it, because I think it's important to see this. There are two parts of this verse, sin wages, sin's wages, and God's gift. All you have to do is read it, and then I speak those words into your ear, and you can see that for yourself. Two parts, sin's wages, God's gift. Wages and gift, we could say, are contrasting each other. We could say that two categories of people actually are represented by these words those whose wage, wage is death and those whose gift is life. Notice how I put that. Those whose wage is death, those whose gift is life. Well, tease that out. Those are contrasting ways of getting something bad and something, on the other hand, very good. So we could put it this way, with words painted before our mind's eye then is the sobering truth about where every person is in relation to God and where every person is headed at this very moment. The differences are real, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. The differences are real, they're very antithetical, they're contrastive, they're awfully, they're frightening uh, uh, well, one is frightening, the other isn't. One is alarming, the, isn't, the other isn't. So I hope you see that contrast. This is, a, this is a good reason why new believers are told to memorize this verse, because this is like the basic 101 stuff of Christianity. So let's look at the teaching of this verse, and I think I have four uh, headings. All right, maybe three. Three or four. Four, I do have four. This verse teaches that sin has consequences, right? For the wages of sin is death. We know that death is because 
sin is. Therefore, Paul tells us elsewhere, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Sin is the transgression of the law of God, or as John calls it in 1 John 3, 4, lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is being an outlaw, being outside the bounds of what God's law either requires or forbid. We either do what he says or we don't do what, or we do what he says not to do. Uh, Either we, you know what I mean. It's outside the bounds of God's uh, law. Sin is. So we are outlaws if we are sinners. The Bible declares without hesitation that all the disorder and all the absence of peace on the earth is due to Adam's sin and ours. The seed of death is in all of us because the seed of sin is in all of us. It's the first thing we have to recognize in one sense is the seed of sin is in me. I have this deprivation of soul. I don't have righteousness like my original parents did and they lost it. I'm in the state that my original parents, Adam and Eve, were in after they sinned. Judgment came upon them. Pollution was then theirs as a judgment of God upon them and I'm like that. And this is this is really the fact that we're all sinners is the great equalizer of man. You know, you can doll yourself up I'm aging myself using that kind of language. And uh, have a surgeon cut a hole in the back of your neck and stretch your skin back and stuff it in your head and zip it back up. Like, what was that comedian? Joan Rivers. The older she got, I thought, just stop it. You're old. You keep getting those skin tightening things. You're still a sinner. You can change the outside all you want. It's the inside that's the problem. It's the moral pollution that's within. It's the unwillingness to do what he says to do and the unwillingness not to do what he forbids. Did I just put it right? I think I did. Even if I didn't, you you know what I mean. This is the great equalizer of everybody. You can look at billboards of these marvelous-looking people. Their underarms stink, by the way. It's a fake world of glamour. And it's calculated, I methinks, through the machinations of the wicked one to deceive us into thinking, if I could just be that or get that, the grass will be greener. You know who the most, some of the most miserable people in the world are? The people plastered on the television screen every week. Both rich and poor, old and young, tall and short, black, white, brown, yellow, and everything in between have this in common, sin. Welcome to the club. Mark these words well. Sin has its consequences. So that's the first teaching of the verse. This verse teaches that sin has consequences. Secondly, this verse teaches us about the justice of God. God says elsewhere, the soul that sins will die. Something in me likes the, new, the, the King James Version. The soul that sinneth shall die. That just has some more oomph to it, does it? The soul that sins shall, shall die. Listen to uh, somebody from the last century, uh, two centuries ago. Man, the reason why death is the result of sin is 
that sin deserves death. Death is due. Death is due to it in justice. There is the same obligation in justice that sin should be followed by death, as that the laborer should receive his wages, as it would be unjust and therefore wrong, to defraud the laborer of his stipulated reward, so it would be unjust to allow sin to go unpunished. Here is the laborer working for Victor, and they agreed on a price, and at the end of the week, don't do this, by the way, our brother cheats him out of 50 bucks. That would be unjust of him to do that. It would be unjust of God not to deliver the wages of sin. You know how some people say, I just hope that God's just fair with me, just with me. It's like, I just hope he's merciful with me. I just hope he's designed a way to to blot out all my transgressions and receive me in his presence, even though I'm a sick sinner with a shriveled up, dried up soul way too often. You remember the Spurgeon quote? It's not in the notes, but it's coming into my head. Remember that Spurgeon quote? I've, I've used it many times. Some people boast how godly and how holy they are, as if they're floating six inches off the ground. They have wings, they have a halo, and they're just bubbling all the time. I'm putting words in Spurgeon's mouth, by the way. He said, as for me, considering the fact I'm such a debased, polluted, wicked, evil, self-centered, you know, all this negative stuff, it's, it's amazing that I'm not in hell. And in one sense, even more amazing that I'm going to glory. I think that's a good attitude uh, to have. It would be unjust of God. It would be wrong of God not to deal with us according to the wage we have earned by virtue of our sins, that is, death. Death comes as a result of sin. Where death is, we know that their sin is. God and God alone is the moral governor in heaven and upon earth. He reveals his law, and he reveals the punishment for breaking his law. He says what men and women are to do and not to do. He says what punishment is due men when they fail to do what he says. He has supreme right to do this, for he has made all things. You just got to come to grips with this. You're not God. By the way, you should be thankful that I'm not God. But you're not God either. You don't set the rules. Um, He does. But men have often taken it upon themselves to define what is and is not just for God to do and for them to do. Some people assume they can live like they desire, assuming that God is obliged to do with them what they want him to do with them when they die. Right? Just, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to roll the dice on divine justice, live like hell, and expect God to do what I want him to do with me when I die. Put me in a nicer place. Most of us have been at funerals before where people are lying about the dead person. He's in a better place. She's in a better place, and we're going, no, 
I've sat on the front row after carrying the deceased's body in the building, and I heard, in this case, a priest lying about my family member, and I'm sitting there like this, and my older brother pinches my leg, and he says, you need to calm down. And I said, he's lying. He said, I know, and everybody else knows too. You can preach my funeral and say whatever you want. So I'm going to hold him to that, by the way. Funerals, where the minister gets up and pronounces that the dead loved one is in a better place simply because they are no longer with us on the earth. Most times, the audience, at least some in the audience, know knows that, for instance, the person had no profession of faith in Christ, no time for the word of God, no time for public worship and the service in the name of God, no love for Christ, no love for the saints of Christ, no sense of remorse for their sins, none of the signs of grace, you know, in a soul. While living, they treat God and the gospel and the church with disdain and then expect God to reward them in a way that's opposite to the way they treated him. Right? I'm getting kind of sounding like Jonathan Edwards now, aren't I? I'm gonna, not going to let you squirm in your sins, by the way, because there's, there's the shift is coming, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. But listen to Jonathan Edwards. He's one of the well-known American theologians of uh, the 19th, 18th century. He's, kinda, he's dealing with what I just mentioned. You treat God this way while you live, and you expect him to treat him the opposite way that you treated him when you die. Okay? Here's Edwards. You never have exercised the least degree of love to God, and therefore it would be agreeable to your treatment of him if he should never express any love to you. You have slighted God, and why then may not God justly slight you? Why should God be looked upon as obliged to bestow salvation upon you when you have been so ungrateful for the mercies he has bestowed upon you already? As God has multiplied mercies, so have you multiplied provocations. And yet now, are you ready to quarrel for mercy and to find fault with God? What ideas have you of yourself that you think God is obliged to do so much for you, though you treat him ever so ungratefully for his kindness wherewith you have been followed all the days of your life? See what he's saying? You really want God to be just with you? Then since you haven't served him as he ought to be served, he's not going to do to you what you want him to do even though you haven't served him. He's going to be just. Now, this sounds like I'm trying to, you know, scare people. I am. I, I, I want people who haven't closed with Christ Uh, to feel threatened by this. God is very threatening to sinners. You remember the line by R.C. Sproul? What's wrong with you people? Have you ever seen that little thingy? Somebody asked, uh, you know, it was a good question, but it's kind of 
disrespectful to God kind of thing. Like, how can God do that kind of thing? And then there's like 10,000, 5,000 people there and Sproul goes, what's wrong with you people? This is God we're talking about. You know, sometimes I think we, we need that. His, his holiness should threaten our sinfulness. His sovereignty should threaten our sense of carnal security. His justice should threaten our sense of personal stability because of my personal goodness. When we understand God's justice, we should conclude, foul eye to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. Not, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, boy, my brother or my sister or my parents or my grandfather was horrible. I'm not as bad as those people. I'm not as bad as them. It doesn't make you good. It just makes you less bad, but still bad, right? The first part of this verse has no good news in it. It's the bad news. For the wages of sin is death. It is the news of divine justice toward man in sin. Now it's time for a third thing the verse teaches to try to get some relief into the room on our consciences and souls. This verse teaches us something about God's method of salvation. Let's listen to the verse again. It's very important. It's very simple, but it's profound. For the wages of sin is death, but there's the contrastive part. This is the antithesis of that. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The word of God is very clear. Eternal life is a free gift of God. Did you hear that? It doesn't say, but the wages of sin is death. And the wages of obedience is eternal life. Okay? It's not what it says, right? It is not wages paid to us due to work done by us. Eternal life is not the wage we receive, the payment we receive, because we're goody-two-shoes. It is a free gift given to unworthy recipients. It's not like God says, you know what? You're worthy of the free gift of eternal life. I saw what you did yesterday. Thanks, buddy. Don't you hate it when you think that way or you hear people talk like that? Note what the text does not say. The wages of sin, our bad deeds, is death. But the wages of righteousness, our good deeds, is eternal life. Doesn't say that, right? We're kind of wired that way, though. Um, Some of you have heard the word Pelagian or semi-Pelagian. We are by nature. We, We think, all right, I admit I've got bad stuff in the past and all that stuff. So what I have to do is do good stuff now. And when I've done enough good stuff, then I'll be worthy for the big, big thing, Jesus, life, eternal. I have to stop doing bad stuff, acknowledging that it was bad, and start doing these other things to, because if I was doing these things to get to death, I need to do these other things to get up to life, right? That's that's how we're kind of wired that way. And most uh, religions in the world, except one, teach that very thing. You get there by doing. 
It does not say the wages of righteousness is eternal life. We know the words, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. If it were even a minuscule part due to our works, we could say, you know, Jesus did his 99.999% for me. But boy, I did that other one that put me over the hill up up to 100% of salvation. He did 99.9% of the work for my salvation, and I do my part. He's great, or greater than I am, but I'm pretty good too. No, we can't, we don't do that. That no one should boast. Why? Because we're his workmanship. Believers are recreated in Christ Jesus for good works. We don't get eternal life due to our good works. We get eternal life to express our thankfulness in good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in him. So that, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say the wages of our righteous or good deeds is eternal life. Notice what it does say. Death is the return for sin, but eternal life is a free gift from God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what it says. So it's not a straight uh, one-to-one antithetical parallelism. The wages of sin is death. The wages of righteousness is life. That would be a one-to-one kind of thing. It's an antithetical kind of qualified parallelism that's opposite of each other. Sin pays its wages of death out of demerit for work done by laborers worthy of such compensation. Sin pays its wage of death by virtue of divine justice. But God stands with a free gift and God dispenses it to unworthy sinners who do not and cannot earn it by their good deeds. Death is due to divine justice. Eternal life is conferred due to free and sovereign divine grace. Death is earned by us. Eternal life is given to us. See the difference? Huge difference. Death is payment for work and is deserved. Eternal life can never be achieved by our work and is always of grace, even abounding grace, freely given, even though undeserved. And the fourth thing our verse teaches, this verse teaches us about how to obtain the free gift of eternal life. It's at the end. It's kind of a little fuzzy at first, but in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But the free gift of God is eternal life in or through Christ Jesus, our Lord. This free gift of God, eternal life, is to be found in him, in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He is the one, he is the one who has what guilty sinners need. He has life, eternal life, a reward for his works. So eternal life is granted based on the reward for works but not ours. His. The wages for his righteousness was eternal life, 
And this eternal life he freely offers to us in the gospel. And he gives to any and all who come to him for it. Our Lord offers living water springing up to eternal life to guilty people. Do you remember, and we're actually going to consider this the next hour, remember the guilty Samaritan woman at the well with Jesus in John 4? She was a guilty sinner. She had a soiled life, socially known as a woman who shacked up and had a bunch of husbands and something was wrong with her at the very time that Jesus was talking to her. He didn't, tell, he didn't yell at her and say, you violator of the law of God. Everybody knows that you're a loosey-goosey, you know, whatever. Go home, straighten out your life, and then call me later. He didn't do that, did he? He offered living water to her on the spot as a sin-stained woman. I don't want to rain on my own parade, so I'll stop there. But I think it's very strategic. She was not deserving of what our Lord offered her, though she was certainly in need of it. She didn't recognize her need at first. You know, he asked for water, and then then he brings in this living water springing unto eternal life to her. Which, by the way, he's dipping back into the Old Testament about living water. We'll talk about that next hour. At first, she didn't even realize what her true need was. And then if you keep reading the John passage, you, you start to realize, oh, but sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. I, I don't think she was being snarky because she then asked a question about true worship. And by the end of the story, she's proclaiming him to be the Messiah. So slowly but surely, this woman started to connect dots. She needed the free gift of God, and at some point in the conversation with our Lord, she took it and immediately went and testified to others. If you remember the story, she didn't keep her newfound faith in the fountain for sin and uncleanness to herself. She went and said things like, this guy knew everything about me. He knows my sins, and yet he still said, you know, come to me. Listen to John 1, 12, and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. But as many as received him, the language of appropriating the message about him to themselves, I'm the guilty sinner. I recognize it's way worse than I know. It's bad, but it's way worse than I know because I forget 90-something percent of the sins I commit. And and there are hidden faults, hidden not to God, but hidden to me uh, as well that I need forgiveness for. But here's this one in Scripture saying, come unto me if you're burdened with your sins. If you got this heavy load of guilt, come unto me. I, 
I'll cleanse you of your unrighteousness. I'll give you a righteous standing. The promises of God that you could only cross your fingers for before will be yours in me because all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. So um, Christ gives eternal life to those who receive him as unworthy recipients of a free gift. He doesn't give eternal life to people who are worthy of it. If you're worthy of it, you don't need him. If you're not worthy of it, you need him. Now we're going to sing um, a hymn to respond to the word preached. It'll be hymn 441. You don't have to turn there. You can turn there if you want. But um, I just want to change the wording a bit. This is a familiar hymn. Most of us know this hymn. I want to change the wording a bit, and, and I want to say this. We should be thankful that the hymn does not read this way. Thy works, you've heard me say this before, plus mine, O Christ, speak uncertainty to this heart. They tell me some is done. They bid assurance depart. Here's the real words. Thy works, not mine, O Christ, speak gladness to this heart. They tell me all is done. They bid my fear depart. I changed it to, thank God it doesn't read this way. Thy works plus mine, O Christ, speak uncertainty to this heart. They tell me some is done. They bid assurance depart. How about the second line? What if it read this way? Thy pains plus mine, O Christ, upon the shameful tree have paid a partial price to be fulfilled by me, the rest to be fulfilled by me. That would be a neonomian, neo-Baxterian, partially papistical, abominable teaching, right? If you don't know what those terms mean, they're all bad. That would say he did what he did, and it's sufficient in itself, but not sufficient to ultimately land me on the safe side. I got to add to it. He did his part, I do mine. Thy pains plus mine, O Christ, upon the shameful tree have paid a partial price to be fulfilled by me, the rest to be fulfilled by me. Instead, the words, the, 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 word, the words of the hymn say, Thy pains, not mine, O Christ. It's not my suffering for him and his cause that gets me there. It's his suffering for his own cause and my well-being that gets me there. Thy pains, not mine, O Christ, upon the shameful tree, have paid the law's full price and purchased peace for me. It's not Jesus plus me. It's Jesus. Be thankful the third line doesn't read this way. Thy cross plus mine, O Christ, will bear the awful load of sins that one in heaven and some on earth earn yonder abode. Instead, the third line reads, Thy cross, not mine, O Christ, has borne the awful load of sins that none in heaven or earth could bear 
but God. And the fourth line, be thankful it doesn't read this way. Our righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is, which is of we. I know that sounds weird. I had to change it. But people chuckled, so you got it, didn't you? Our righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is of we. You see what that could produce if I preach that way? Brothers and sisters, Jesus did his part for us. We got our part to do in his name for ourselves. And some of you are doing a bad job of it. I don't know if you're going to heaven. So then I preach sermons that cause you to squirm in your seats every week and force you to be dependent upon me to make you squirm, to motivate you to really live for Jesus out of squirmhood. Thank you. I've said this before. It's easier to preach squirmy type sermons to make people good godly Christians who, who, who mean well, make them lose their assurance every week. It's easier to preach that way than it is to preach Christ every single sermon. It's hard to just keep preaching Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's easy to say some of you have a pitiful prayer life, which, by the way, is true, I bet. And if you're one of those persons, you're going, no, pastor, it's worse than that. Um, add some adjectives to the pitiful part, like pitifully pitiful, like hyper pitifully pitiful. Because I know myself. Our righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No, instead, thy righteousness, O Christ, alone can cover me. No righteousness avails save that which is of thee. It's a wonderful hymn, and it depicts the good news part of this verse. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You know, in, in Romans 5, 21, since I'm so self-disciplined and it's only 1039, in Romans 5, 21, we get another hint on this connection between Jesus Christ and righteousness to eternal life. Listen to 521. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness, grace reigns through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Those prepositions, through, to, and through, are, are very important. Some versions might read differently. Basically, it's this way. Grace is the cause for there to be a righteousness that is rewarded with eternal life. And by the way, it's the righteousness of Christ that was rewarded with this eternal life. And this free gift of eternal life, a quality of life, better than even Adam and Eve's created state. Remember Adam and Eve could fall into sin and they did? 
They fell out of God's favor. When you're in Christ, you can't fall out of God's favor because you're in God's favor by virtue of the favor of Christ, not your own merits and goodness. And and there's not going to come a time in in glory where we sin and, and, you know, become polluted. We are in a better state by grace than we are by nature. And this righteousness that is unto eternal life is the obedience of Christ for us, not our obedience for Christ, is is based on Christ's obedience for us. He is the one that merited eternal life. And he is the one who with large hands, metaphorically speaking, offers himself eternal life to sinners. And he doesn't tell sinners, you need to go to church more before you come to me. Although, it's not a bad thing to go to church, you know. Um, But it is a bad thing for the minister to say, don't come to Jesus yet. Um, He can't help you. Squirm more. Your misery is not as deep and as profound as it ought to be. You ought to feel yourself to be dangling over the fires of hell like a spider at the end of its web. I'm borrowing from Jonathan Edwards on that one too, by the way. If you feel your need for him... Come. You remember what the hymn says after that? This he gives you, this he gives you. Tis the Spirit's rising beam. I don't know if God's working on my heart. Do you want Christ? Do you want eternal life? Do you want forgiveness of sins? Do you want the promises of God to be yea and amen toward you, for you? You say, well, yeah. This he gives you. This he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, for your word. We ask that you would burn it, etch it, uh, tattoo it, whatever words uh, describe the, the making it our own, burn it into our hearts so that we uh, love you more, love the Christ who earned eternal life for sinners more, love each other more, and love others more, and live more for your glory. Uh, help us now to sing in response to the truths we've heard. Receive our limp uh, praises through Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen.